0: Section 10 of The White Tsar, A Story of a Polar Bear. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dick Bourgeois Doyle, The White Tsar, A Story of a Polar Bear by Clarence Hawks. Section 10. Chapter 8, Whitey and Little Omak. It was a very jubilant hunting party that returned to Eskimo town that night. The comatix were loaded with 500 pounds of bear meat, which makes a fine variation in the menu of the poor Eskimo. Besides that, the great white robe of the Tsarina was an important part of the kill, not to mention the fat Nixuk, who is always welcomed with joy in the igloo. But the most astonishing thing that the three hunters brought was whitey the little polar bear. And the most excited person in all Eskimo town was little Umak, who at once appropriated the small bear. Although it was well on in the evening when the hunting party returned, yet half of the people in the village flocked to the ICU's igloo to see the small bear. But little Umak was very jealous of them all and would hardly take his hands off the cub long enough for the rest to admire it. The first question which at once arose was what and how to feed the cub meat was out of the question and there was no milk in the village the life of the cub might have ended then and there by slow starvation had not icu remembered a case of evaporated milk which had been brought to the village the winter before during an epidemic among the children they had brought several cases but only one was still unused. So ICU at once went to a deserted igloo where the milk had been cached and dug it out. A can was quickly opened and some of the milk diluted with water to what ICU thought would be the proper bear thickness. This was placed in a small pewter dish, which the igloo boasted. ICU then took the small bear on his lap and by putting his nose partly in the milk and also by putting the tip of his little finger in the bear's mouth, the ingenious Eskimo had Whitey drinking in a very few minutes. When he had drunk all the milk that he could, Little Umak claimed him, so he was wrapped in the lightest, warmest fur that the igloo contained and placed on the sleeping bench beside Little Umok and the muskox robe was covered over both of them. ICU cautioned his son to be careful not to roll on Whitey and not to handle him too much until he should get stronger. Five minutes later, when ICU's Cooner lifted up the edge of the robe to see them, both were sleeping soundly, and the head of the child rested against that of the small bear. ICU was awakened very early the following morning by Umak, who wanted all the family to arouse themselves in order that they might attend to the cub. But you who was very tired, for once asserted his parental authority and made Umak keep still while the rest slept. When they did at last arise, the cub was the first of the family to get his breakfast, and from that very day he became one of the family, as well as a very important inhabitant of Eskimo Town. For the first few days, ICU had to admonish frequently to keep his small son from loving the bear to death, for he hugged and squeezed him continually. Finally, ICU explained very tragically that if they did not let the cub sleep a lot, just as sister did, he would die and they would have to bury him, just as they had Umak's favorite puppy the summer before. It had the desired effect. And after this, Umak was very careful. It was hard, though, when the winds howled outside and the snows blew and all the children in the village had to stay inside for Umak to keep his hands off his small bear companion. On pleasant days, Umak would go forth having wrapped Whitey up in a warm fur, although really there was no need of that as the cub had a very warm fur of his own. But Umak would wrap him up nicely and then, putting him on his small komatek, which his father had made for him, would go about the village exhibiting his pet to all the children. There was great rivalry among the boys to be allowed to help draw the komatek, but Umak would suffer only his best friends to help. When Whitey grew steady on his legs and larger and stronger, he was allowed to shuffle about for himself with the children but Umak never allowed him to get more than 10 feet away, and he was quite jealous of the other children who wanted to pet Whitey. When the spring finally came and the sunbeams were warm, great rejoicing filled Eskimo town. Although they bear the long dark winter stoically and do not grumble at their hard lot, yet it is probable that no people on earth so rejoice at the coming of spring as do the Eskimos. The children swarmed forth from the igloos to romp with the puppies, which had also made their appearance with the coming of spring. These puppies were legion in number and of all sizes and colors, but these little snow children loved them just as much as they would have the most pedigreed dogs. So the children, the puppies, and the small white bear all rioted and rejoiced in the glad springtime. With the coming of spring the traps were all brought in and put away until another season walrus hunting and seal hunting was also temporarily given up as the seals the walrus and the foxes would follow the ice flow northward perhaps next to the enjoyment of the warm sunshine and the coming of certain spring flowers which abound in surprising profusion even in these north latitudes the return of the birds was the most wonderful thing enjoyed in Eskimo town. Of all the feathered friends that returned in the spring, the Eskimo most joyously welcomed the little auk, which is to him the most useful of all arctic birds. It also rejoiced their hearts to see great flocks of eider ducks and Brant's geese go by. Full well they knew that when they had gone to their summer quarters in Eskimo village, they would find good eating from these great birds. But first of all, The auk claimed their attention. These birds are about the size of the screech owl, or a little larger than the robin. They are gay of plumage and very pleasing to the eye when they come in large flocks. They are so tame that if one goes to the top of a hill and sits down on the ground perfectly still, they will light upon one's head and shoulders. They seem to be entirely fearless. So when the auk had come back in great numbers, I see you, Umak and Whitey went to the top of a high hill nearby Eskimo town to catch them in the nets. Whitey was almost as much interested as the rest. Little Umak was all eagerness, as helping with the net was a sort of initiation into becoming a great hunter. The net was something like a fishnet. The two ends were secured on the tops of two tall poles, about 12 feet apart. The net was held open slightly on the south side, by a spreader. When the auk had once flown into the net, he either got entangled in its meshes or did not seem to understand that he could fly out in the way he had come. So by setting up the net every few minutes and taking it down and killing the entangled birds, the work of catching the poor auk went merrily on. It would have been cruel sport had not these bright skins been most useful to the Eskimo. But as it was, he was merely killing the auk as a farmer would kill his chickens. He brought along a large gunny sack in which to carry back the catch. If he was lucky, and the birds were flying freely, in an afternoon, he would net from three to five hundred birds. When we remember that the skins of these birds are made into the Eskimo's winter shirt, and also that the meat is very fine eating, even for a white man, the usefulness of the auk is at once appreciated. When I see you, and Umak and Whitey finally trudged back to Eskimo town with their sack full of dead birds. Umak was the proudest boy in the village. There was one menace from which little Umak had a hard time defending his pet, and that was the wolfish sledge dogs. These savage canines are very little removed from wolves and are always quarreling and fighting among themselves. The first time they attacked Whitey, might have gone hard with him had not his young master happened along at just the right time. Whitey was then only four or five months old and not large enough to defend himself. When Umak found him, he was backed up against a komatik and several dogs were snapping at him. He was striking out with his cub paws and defending himself the best he could, but one of the dogs had already gashed his face and the red blood was streaming down his white cheek. Little Umak was fairly wild with rage, and although he was but a small boy himself, yet he went at the dogs like a whirlwind. He snatched up a club and rushed into the fight with such ferocity that he sent the pack of mongrels yelping in every direction. After that, he always kept a sharp watch on Whitey when he was outside. But as time passed and the cub grew, this danger lessened. Late in the summer, however, Umak discovered that his companion was growing rapidly and could defend himself. Again, he came upon the dogs, who had cornered his pet and were worrying him. Whitey had backed up against a boulder and was striking out so vigorously that the dogs did not dare to venture too near to him. Finally, he landed a blow upon the face of a venturesome pup and sent him sprawling to the ground. Then little Umak, knew that Whitey was fully able to take care of himself as far as the dogs were concerned. It was a most important day in Eskimo Town when the belongings of the town were packed upon the comatics and the inhabitants started on their annual migration to Eskimo Village, about a hundred miles to the northward. Of course, they only took such of their belongings as they knew they would need during the summer. The snow was nearly gone, and the comatex scratched and bumped along, so the dogs had all they could do to pull the load. The reason for this move was that the walrus and the seals had all gone northward with the ice flow. Also, many of the ducks and the wild geese nested on islands further north, and all the best cod fishing grounds were there also. So the Eskimo followed the walrus, the seals, and the ice flow along the rather bleak coast of Eskimo land. Little Umak and Whitey trudged after ICU's Komatek. Umak was much excited about the trip, for he saw many new things. His father pointed out to him all the interesting sights and told him the names of the birds that they saw. Finally, after about ten days, they arrived in sight of Eskimo Village. It was on the side of a gently sloping hill, with a fine view of the sea. As soon as the Komateks halted, the dogs were let loose and the men set up the cloth tents in which they would live during the summer. It was surprising how rapidly pale flowers and grass sprang into being under the rays of the 18 hours of day sunlight. When they came to the season of continuous day in July and August, then these plants would grow even more rapidly. As soon as the summer quarters were put in order, the Eskimos turned their attention to fishing each day both the men and the women would go forth in the large square-ended boats to fish these boats are very steady and so are especially good for fishing the eskimo name means woman's boat and it is used derisively but they are much better for fishing than the unstable kayak which carries only one person the fishing is done in rather shallow water corresponding to the newfoundland banks only it is several hundred miles further north. The best fish that they take is the cod. They use two brightly painted hooks, which are kept rapidly moving up and down just above the floor of the ocean. This kind of fishing is called jigging. If the cod fishing is good, it will not be many days before all through Eskimo village the fish will be seen drying on poles, which keep them well up out of the way of the ravenous dogs. Little Umok and Whitey were left very much to themselves during these long, warm days, and they had the finest kind of summer. They played upon the rocks or in the sand along the seashore, and even went half a mile inland, but Umok did not like to go very far out of sight of Eskimo village. Whitey was always doing strange things, which both interested Umok and picked his curiosity. He discovered that the young bear was very fond of ants and grubs, and Umak soon learned to turn over the stones for him and to help him dig in the likely places. Whitey also liked certain roots, and whenever he came to such as pleased his taste, Umak would have to wait until he had satisfied his appetite for that particular day. Whitey was also very fond of certain wild berries which grew upon the marshes. These were a sort of wild cranberry. The first time that Umak saw his companion jump from a shelving rock into the sea and start to swim out from shore, he was much frightened and ran to his father, crying that Whitey would be drowned. But ICU hastened to inform his young son that Whitey's ancestors had all been good swimmers and that Whitey could swim in the water almost as well as Umak could walk on the land. He did not have to be taught to swim either, as a boy would. He simply kept his head up and his feet paddling. He was not afraid, and that was more than half the battle. Whitey was very fond of fish, but he did not like them dried. When they cleaned the great cod, he would lie nearby watching for the heads which Umak would throw to him. Finally in July, the sun came northward and stayed with them for about two months. So then, they had to go inside the cloth tents and sleep for a certain part of each 24 hours, even though the sun was shining. But they did not need as much sleep then as they did when the days and nights were more apparent. One day, ICU took Umak and Whitey with him in his large boat to the fishing ground. Umak was all excitement to see how the fish were caught, but Whitey finally concluded it was very dull sport and lay down on the bottom of the boat and went to sleep. Or at least they thought he was sleeping soundly, but he finally aroused himself enough to spoil one of the best cod by gnawing into it. At last the long day ceased, and the short nights came for an hour or two each day. Then there came a chill in the air and frosts during the nights. So since they had laid in a good supply of dried fish and eider ducks down, not to mention eggs and dead birds, the inhabitants of Eskimo village began to think of returning to Eskimo town, which was, always, their winter quarters. But they usually waited until the first slight snowstorm made the comatex pull easier. This generally came late in September. Finally, one cold morning, when Umak arose and looked out of doors, he saw that the ground was white with snow. There was but two or three inches, yet it would serve the purpose for the sledges. So, after breakfast, the cloth tents and the Eskimos' belongings were packed. The supply of fish and eider ducks' meat and eggs were made safe, and in two or three hours the entire village was on the march. When they had come northward, Whitey had been a timid, playful cub. but Now he was several times larger than he had been then, and rather boisterous. He could hold his own with any of the dogs in battle, and he had acquired much independence but little Umak could do anything with him. A month or so before they left Eskimo village, Umak had learned to ride on Whitey's back, so the bear now carried his little master for the better part of the long 100-mile march. But once they were back in the igloo, Umak's mother protested against having so large a bear as Whitey had become in the igloo all the time. So he slept much of the time in a deserted igloo nearby. Even now, He was beginning to suggest what a monster he would be when he should attain the stature and weight of a full-grown polar bear. End of section 10.